We're starting things off with a word from our sponsor. Since 1998, DVD Netflix has delivered more than 5 billion DVD and Blu-ray rentals to movie lovers in every American zip code and to military bases around the world in their famous, iconic red envelopes. With an extensive library of titles from the early 1900s to today and shows from such premium networks as HBO and Showtime, DVD Netflix is a must for physical media lovers. Featuring a variety of different plans starting at as little as $8.99 per month, it's a great way to experience DVDs and Blu-rays with special features and commentary tracks you won't find anywhere else. A member for over 20 years, so well before I ever began working with the service as an official blogger on acting or as a DVD, Netflix, Twitter, film discussion host, I think it's a terrific way to keep our vintage video store memories alive and support the physical media that we love so much. So be sure to check out DVD Netflix for yourself at dvd.com. Now on with the show. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Returning to the podcast today, we have the very insightful Roxana Haddadi, a TV critic with Vulture who also writes about film and pop culture. Previously, Roxana was film editor and critic with Pajiba, and her reviews, essays, recaps, and other writing have also been published by the AV Club, Polygon, RogerEbert.com, the LA Times, Crooked Marquee, The Playlist, Fox Digital, GQ, and Inverse. Well, Roxana, I'm so glad to have you back. I've been so excited to have this conversation with you. When I announced it, people were freaking out. I sort of, I've been following your coverage and your tweets on Succession and was just stoked to pick your brain because we always have such amazing conversations. So I really want to thank you so much for doing this. How have you been doing? Jen, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on to discuss this program. Uh, I've been doing pretty well. I mean, I've been doing as well as we could be doing post-succession. My Sundays are different. (laughs) I know. There's like a hole in our lives now, Roxanne. Yes. And we always, you know, like we always talk about this with television. Like, I feel like we had this same conversation after like everyone freaked out with the end of Breaking Bad. Right. It was like, what's going to be the next collective TV experience, Mm -hmm. which became Game of Thrones and now a succession. So I, you know, I don't want to get into a big film versus TV debate because I think they're both lovely as forms and I love them both but there is something collective about that like appointment television experience that I absolutely will miss now that succession is over I miss like the uh the 10 5 p.m perusing through everyone's tweets about the last hour of television I will miss that a lot um, so yeah, I'm very excited for us to chat about the show. I'm so curious about your thoughts. Cause I feel like you like sort of mainlined it, right? Like you were catching up with it or were you watching succession from the beginning? 
From the beginning. Yes. I was always trying to convince people to watch because, and I actually myself, it took maybe three or so episodes for me to really get into the rhythm. I remember watching the first one and going, do I want to spend this much time with these people? And not really getting the vibe because the tone is all over the place. I did love Mm -hmm. uh, the thick of it and in the loop, uh, Jesse's previous um, writing credits. And I love Veep. And so I love sort of that tragic comedy um, style. Larry Sanders show is one of my favorite HBO series of all time. And that is definitely not a comedy. Um, Mm -hmm. This, I feel like some of the best episodes were the funniest ones and the most shocking. And then also some of uh, then it would have high highs and low lows. And it was kind of the epitome of Kendall, essentially. I loved it, (laughs) though. You know, it took a few. (laughs) Yes. For Kendall with his uh, his jacket. Very. Oh, my God. I love that. But um, he was always my favorite. I have to say, I think maybe, I don't know if it's the type A thing or whatever. When I would describe this to people, I would say it's sort of like Eugene O'Neill or Arthur Miller or David Mamet, a mm-hmm. uh, little David Rabe, just like the most profane version of Death of a Salesman you can get. And 100%. So I would try to convince people to stick with it because mm-hmm. they would watch that first episode and they're like, I don't know. Um, but I think once you get there, especially by the season finale of the first season is one Mm -hmm. of the best episodes of television i've ever seen it's hard to watch so much of the show is hard to watch and i think that kind of like solidifies your feelings on it uh is that Mm -hmm. episode how about you Mm -hmm. were you a fan from the beginning you know i don't think i was i think i didn't really seriously start watching i think until season two started okay i think when season two started it felt like it felt like more people had caught up with season one at that point and you get this with shows right i mean like yeah think about parks and rec like the first season of parks and rec was like sort of a failure (laughs) and then arrested development Yeah, it felt like people really caught on to it with season two. Parks and Rec, like, completely changed the kind of show it was going to be. And that felt more popular with people. Arrested Development was just, like, nothing. And then everything, (laughs) I think, for its fans. (laughs) So, yeah, so it's interesting to sort of watch how this happens with shows. And I, I would love to go back and, like, sort of track that progression for all of the shows that we love so much. Cause like Mad Men, you know, like I remember watching Mad Men, but I don't really remember it being like a cultural conversation, at least in my sphere of like college graduates until like season three or season four, because all mm-hmm. of us were like looking for jobs and we were like, let's just watch Mad Men instead. <laughs> um, or something like The Wire. It's like season one was like pretty big, but then I remember like season two was very conflicting for people. All of this is like a very long way to say, I think I really got into it and caught up when season two premiered. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember being intrigued initially by the Adam McKay of it all. Cause yeah. like, I, I mean, McKay now, we don't really need to talk about <laughs> McKay now. We don't need to go but there. Yeah. We don't need to go there. We don't need to talk about like, don't look up or any of that whole thing but there was a certain window of time when what adam mckay 
thought about class was something that intrigued me. So his name mm-hmm. was attached to this project. He directed the pilot, right? Yeah. Um, so I remember being intrigued on that level. I do agree with you that I remember thinking, well, let me not put words in your mouth. I do remember thinking that everyone seemed terrible. Yes. But in a compelling, interesting Mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Um, And I remember thinking after I watched the first episode, I remember thinking about that, the baseball game a lot. Yes. Like the pilot. So like, I don't know how much we want to talk like plot this early on, but like the pilot is you're meeting this terrible family, this media mogul family. Um, All of the kids are like bratty and entitled. Mm -hmm. Brian Cox is playing this patriarch who is clearly sort of losing it. Um, And it's his birthday, right? So they go and have this like baseball game. And is it... Now you're going to have to fill in details for me because I don't know if I actually fully remember everything about this, but is it Logan or Roman who tells the kid that he'll get a million dollars if he hits a home run? Believe it was Roman. Okay. Yeah. So it's like you get this sense immediately of how much money doesn't matter to them. No. Right. Like money is disposable. Money Mm -hmm. is a joke and other people's lives are disposable and a joke. Like you're putting so much pressure on this child to hit hit a home run for your amusement. I remember like the kid's parents are there, right? So there's Mm -hmm. also this additional pressure for this child of like, I should do this for my parents. It would change their lives. And there's so much just in that little moment about like how the Roy family functions internally, Mm -hmm. like the kind of things that they do to amuse each other and how they function externally, like how they treat other people in their lives and how they view society at large. And I remember being like repelled by that, but also fascinated by it on like a writing level. Yeah. Uh, Like how did you so effectively show us who these people are Mm -hmm. with just this little detail? Uh, So I think it was like season two that I went back and caught up with the show And like you said, I think it takes a few episodes to really show you, exactly, to really show you what it's going to be, to sort of get on the visual wavelength, right? With like, yeah, the Dogma 95 style sort of thing. Yes. 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 The very quick zooms, like the cameras just like everywhere in the room, everybody's reaction shots. Like Mm -hmm. visually, you're also getting such a sense of who these people are because the camera is always moving and focusing on other Mm -hmm. people and not just the speakers. So I remember being needing a little bit of time to become accustomed to that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And you like, (laughs) you sort of feel a little seasick or at least I felt a little seasick. I think that's intentional. Yeah, it is. hundred percent. He said he wanted it to be Dallas meets Festin, which is the celebration, the Binterberg film. 
Taco mm-hmm. 95. And that's basically what it is. Like um, my mom described it as it's sort of like watching Dynasty, but like a mammoth dynasty. And that's kind of, yeah. I exactly. love that. I mean, that's a great, exa- like, that's a great description. Um, <laughs> shout out to Jen's mom. Yes. Uh, but yeah, so I think, I think we like, wanted to say hi because she loved you oh. all Americans so much. So that's very kind. Thank you, Jen's mom. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but but the Americans is a great example because yeah. the Americans has like an incredibly strong pilot, mm-hmm. but I remember needing like a few episodes to really decide, like, did this feel, did this sort of narrative for me feel worthy of the time investment? Because I couldn't see in the beginning where this show could go. And I feel yeah. like that's just like a great sign of television is like, I have no idea where you could take this story, but yes. you're taking it into these amazing yeah. introspective places. So yeah. So then I think to your point, the first succession season finale, I mean, it's just, I don't even know how to describe it. It is perfect. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they constantly are writing themselves into a corner. That's what the Americans Mm -hmm. basically did. Like, okay, they're Russian spies and across the street is an FBI agent. And Succession Mm -hmm. is kind of like that. I love that you brought up the baseball game because I think Mm -hmm. another thing this show is famous for, of course, is its amazing performances across the board. Mm -hmm. And I think what's so perfect listening to you articulate um, why that worked and why suddenly we're kind of interested in this idea of this child and all the pressure. I love that it's Roman is the one that is doing mm-hmm. that because also you kind of the Kieran Culkin of it all. You know, this mm-hmm. is somebody who with Kit Culkin, his father has been famously estranged from, I mean, his private life is his private life. I won't want to speculate, but also he's a uh, brother of Macaulay. And so he had a lot of pressure placed on him and his brother at, at young age. And I think he's able to tap into that. There's some kind of special alchemy for all of these people. Mm. Like I remember early on, I thought, you know, this is Darcy, Matthew McFadden. Like he is the one that is bringing Tom Mom's Gams uh, to live who, or to life, who is from my home state of Minnesota. And at first that kind of rankled on me, but I love his little Midwestern quirks and the way he says Mm -hmm. words and it's, so perfect sarah snook did take a couple episodes but then i realized what she's doing she's kind of always taking measure of a situation mm-hmm. and seeing how she should play it and then i got the genius of what she was doing i think you need an alan ruck in there you need 100 percent harming to kind of yes you know and i i also enjoy that hbo believes in its writing so much or it did back Mm -hmm. then that it really did want to take that they said game of thrones route of let's have people who are kind of unknowns or character actors Mm -hmm. they will become stars because of these property or these characters Mm -hmm. and how they're bringing them to life and they absolutely do uh for me i think jeremy strong is the best actor on television or was when he was on the show i kind of i think roxana we should go to broadway and watch him now uh, <laughs> whenever you know the strike situation ends or whatever like and then we can do another episode no just kidding yes but, uh, i love yes. the cast, brian cox hi i'm a boss oh my god yeah i mean like pretty much everyone is yeah. amazing and then like as the cast sort of grows you get like arian moyad who plays stewie oh, like yeah 
you know, like you have so many of these great secondary characters. We're not even talking about like James Cromwell when he shows up. Yes. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, like all of these people that are just wonderful. And yeah, to your point, mostly unknowns on television. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, Brian Cox is a star. Yes. Alan Ruck is a star. Mm-hmm. I mean, even people will recognize like Karen Culkin oh, yeah. from various things. Mm-hmm. But to your point, I think like the characters that they're playing who are so distinct. Like, yeah. I don't know if I entirely buy this like theory. Well, it's not really a theory. It's an explanation that some of the uh, writers and actors have said that the entire series takes place over a year. Like, I don't really buy that because I, I think, think so. Yeah. Like, I don't, I mean, the creators are saying this, but I reject it. Um, just because I think there's like so much uh, like emotional complexity that happens to these characters from the beginning onward that I think Mm -hmm. to condense it within a year feels fake. Yeah. But at the same time, to your point, these characters don't really change that much. Like they experience a lot and we experience it alongside them. But something Mm -hmm. I thought Succession was very smart about is this sense of like the things that shaped you, like the traumas and the loss and the negligence and whatever from your childhood that shaped you, like doesn't go away. (laughs) It is still the stuff that you return Mm -hmm. to as an adult when you're considering your life and you're making the same mistakes. Like I think Succession did a very good job for me at least at arguing that like your entire life is an echo of either what you've lived before or sort of what you're doomed to live a little bit because of your circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Do they change at all? And if they change, how much of that is something they decide to do and how much of that is forced upon them? I mean, like we're probably getting a little ahead of ourselves and I don't want to fully go down this like, line of questioning but like how often Kendall tries to run this company yes <laughs> I know you know like the cycle of that like the mania of that how much he is constantly trying to prove himself to himself to his father to the ghost of his father to his siblings like there is a vacancy within Kendall that we are following for four seasons and there is something really fascinating to me about you can make the argument that like nothing happens quote unquote in succession although we watch so much happening like there isn't that much change and I think that's both a commentary on like the wealth and class of these people and how cordoned off they are from like quote unquote real life Mm -hmm. And I think it's still something that we can say about, to your point, like, how much do we actually change as people, like, year to year, decade to decade? Like, the parts of you that are probably the most calcified might also be the most wounded, like, the most hurt, like, the most in need of change, but they don't. Uh, There are those people, those kids frozen in time in the opening credits. Hundred yeah. percent. I don't even know how we got started on this, Jen, but we we really got very emotionally heavy very yes. soon in this That's conversation. What we do. Yeah. Why not? Why yeah, not? We're getting. But yeah, they are those kids. 
they are those kids from the credits watching their dad walk away like that's the show do you have a favorite season Oh my god, this is such a difficult question. It's such an impossible question. (sighs) Some favorite episodes. Should we jump in that way? Okay, let's go that way. Because I think, well, hmm. okay, let me just start talking so I don't think about it too much. I think season one, once it sort of clicks in like the second half, especially that season finale, that might be my favorite season finale i agree with because you because i think most successful yeah, be, mm-hmm. most successful most heightened yeah but also most soul crushingly sad i mean for you everyone. have kendall yeah for everyone you yeah. have kendall well maybe not robin well the launch it's humiliating sure yeah, yeah, yeah but it's it humiliating. is Roman. yeah but it's robin like he's gonna be robin, fine he'll be fine but yeah. yeah i mean like it has obviously like the Kendall stuff with the waiter who dies. Yeah. Arguable about whether co- Kendall causes this death, but like, it's certainly not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it starts all of Kendall's water imagery, which comes up over and over again throughout the series. I mean, you have Shiv basically telling Tom that she wants an open marriage. Like after they get married, after yes. they get married. <laughs> oh my God. It's so excruciating. It's so devastating. Yeah. And I think when, when I like, as I have sort of sporadically rewatched it as the series, after the series has concluded, it's such an interesting moment for Tom in that scene mm-hmm. in that he's like, I love, like, I love you. Like, what are you, what are you even talking about? And like his confusion in that moment, I think is so key to understanding like the rest of who Tom is. Yeah. Yeah. So you have like Kendall's thing. You have Logan basically blackmailing Kendall, right? Because like Mm -hmm. Logan knows immediately. He always knows what has happened. Yes. So yeah, so I I think maybe it's season one, definitely. I mean, definitely my favorite finale, definitely one of my favorite episodes. But I also think that season three overall is really interesting. Yes. Because you have Kendall trying to make it on his own mm-hmm. and realizing how completely ill-equipped he is yeah. at that. Mm-hmm. and how he cannot escape from his father's shadow. So I think season three also has some of my favorite episodes. I mean, the, the birthday, Carol- the birthday, the birthday is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Too much birthday. Yes. Uh, C- Caroline's wedding is oh, also God. very good yes. in Italy. That one's amazing because it also includes one of the sort of showdowns between mm-hmm. Kendall and Logan. Yeah. Um, where Kendall basically tells him, you know, like, I don't want to be anything like you, like you're no. poison, you've ruined this country. Uh, and then of course, in season four, you have Kendall becoming exactly like Logan yep. in the worst sort of ways. Um, but then I also think a lot about the funeral episode. Oh my goodness. Yes. I also think a lot about church and state because I think again, from a writing perspective, 
such a fantastic way to try to pick apart who Logan Roy was mm-hmm. through these three eulogies. Um, one of my colleagues at Vulture, Catherine, wrote a really great analysis of the three of them trying to understand like what were the commonalities between them to try to understand who Logan was. What did the divergences even tell us about Logan? How mm-hmm. did the performances work? I mean, that's Kieran Culkin's like os- like Emmy reel, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Breaking down. At Can the we get him out? That part. Can we get him me. out? Oh, oh, Jen, it really oh, is horrible and devastating and excruciating mm-hmm. and agonizing and beautiful. Um, I don't know, Jet. I mean, couldn't we make an argument that like every episode is the best it's episode? The best. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think early in season one, to talk about a few of the episodes that I think really uh, solidified mm-hmm. what this show is going to be, a couple of my favorites. I love the one in New Mexico where mm, they all yes. go and we see, you know, uh, Kendall just continually fall off the wagon. Yes. You get Griffin Dunn, who I just uh, talked to for the podcast. He is, I, I forgot to ask him about Succession. Oh, but, no. Uh, yeah, we were talking about <laughs> the movies he produced with Amy Robinson. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I love him as the therapist and how uh, yes. the kids, uh, you know, the adult children and who's going to quote win therapy and the mm-hmm. way Logan is trying to maneuver through it. I think that Mm -hmm. is just such a good episode that shows you kind of the core of everybody and what they're thinking. You get him like just cutting both Tom and Shiv down. Like you're marrying a man who isn't worthy of you because you're afraid or you're, you know, you lack courage. Uh, I also think the bore on the floor episode. Oh my gosh. Hunting, right? Yes, shows you who these people are and who Logan is and Mm -hmm. why these people are like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I also think what's really interesting about going back and watching some of those previous episodes once you finish the show is there all of these little moments that initially sort of feel like throwaways Uh that then take on greater significance and from a writing perspective I would love to know I've been saying that so much from a writing perspective but I would love to know like when they were writing these little moments did they then make a note of like hey two seasons from now I should follow up on this I'm thinking of it's in the hunting episode Mm-hmm. Logan is, you know, like ripping into Tom. He's telling Tom, like, when am I going to get a grandchild? Or are you shooting blanks? Mm-hmm. And we pan to Kendall. And Kendall is just like staring forward. He's not saying anything. He's not engaging. And then in season four, in the series finale, you have Roman very callously revealing that, like, neither of Kendall and Rava's children are biologically his, which we knew for the daughter of South Asian descent, but we did not know know. for his son. And it's just one of those moments where I was like, oh my God, like this is, you know, like back in season two, did Succession think this is going to be a detail for Kendall that will make Kendall feel even worse while Logan is talking about like, quote unquote, shooting blanks. Now he doesn't have any grandchildren, you know, like how do you even write that level? 
I love it. Yeah. I think one of my favorite like TV writing discoveries in doing this podcast that I made was on the show Terriers and how in the final wonderful episode, show, Jen, excellent it. show. Yeah, love Terriers. The final episode, uh, there's something found in a lining of a jacket. They weren't planning that at all. They just thought, mm. wait a minute, we got him a box of stuff early on and we need to plan a where would it be in the box of stuff? And they just like thought of it. And so they did not plan that at all. So happy accidents. I would love to know exactly how much of that was happy accidents and how much was mm -hmm. uh, revealed earlier. I think also there's a lot of echoes in dialogue that you notice mm -hmm. later. You know, mm -hmm. you are not a serious person or you're, you're not, not a serious, serious person, that which back. Kendall yes. first says to Roman I know. very early on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I wrote a piece uh, midway through season four about like visual and dialogue echoes. And yeah, it's like serious person is a great one. Visually, of course, Kendall standing on the roof of the Waystar, Waystar Royco building and like yeah. staring off into space is very similar to him going to the top of the boat on Connor's wedding when they mm -hmm. learn that Logan has died. And then of course, very similar to him staring into the water at the series yeah. finale. So I love that the show has like these very specific compositions for certain characters that it goes back to over and over uh, to your point of, uh, Shiv always sort of assessing. Mm -hmm. I think now that I'm rewatching, there's a great trend of Shiv being in like the corner of a room yes. or in a doorway, sort of looking in on everything, not willing to take a side, which is mm -hmm. Shiv's ultimate and downfall, right? Too. Yes. But Tom, Tom uses it to float up. Yes. yes Tom is exactly. the Midwest, as Megan Abbott yes. and I love to say, being Midwesterners. <laughs> he's the Midwest. He's the, you yes. know, he does he tries to go in there being everyone's friend because you know mm -hmm. you're raised to be nice. Um, mm -hmm. but Tom uses it <laughs> unscrupulously. I mean, he's very, yeah. Um mm -hmm. he's very smart and very manipulative and yeah. just a genius, Jet. Like yeah. more and more that I think about it, it's like Tom is actually probably the smartest person on this show. A doofus, right? Yes. Like performing sort of a bumbling doofus. But also I love to think about like how quickly he sort of got the number of the Roy children. <laughs> yes. You know, like how quickly he sort of assessed they're idiots and mm -hmm. I can, you know, I can wield some influence here. I can wield some power here. Um, you asked me about like recurring lines of dialogue. Are there any other lines of dialogue that you have really picked up on as coming up over and over again that you really like? The word yeah is used mm -hmm. maybe the most in this series besides their names. I was starting to notice that because I say, okay, probably too much. Or like, are you okay? Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, these characters are always saying, yeah, but it's the way they say, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, Shiv uses yeah in a certain way to, um, like, you're with me, right? You know? And mm -hmm. uh, then you also have people using yeah as a threat. It's the word that I kept seeing over and over again i'm somebody who loves i love words so i love to have the closed captioning on as i watch mm -hmm. and i kept just seeing the word yeah over and over and over again but the one i 
forgotten about uh, in sort of the who's afraid of Virginia Woolf fight with uh, Tom and Shiv in season four when he lowers the boom on she shouldn't have children or would be a terrible mother. I had forgotten that's exactly what her mom had said, basically, uh, before her wedding, which then made Shiv want to like prove her wrong immediately, kind of like Kendall with the, well, I can run the company or, you know, doing Mm -hmm. the same thing, but um, expecting a different result or hoping or fighting against her instincts. That's another thing Mm -hmm. I noticed this time around. She's sort of without even thinking just uh sabotages herself i think i don't yeah. know if it's she's wor- used to things just not working out or she's afraid to take stands maybe that thing about courage um mm-hmm. she's afraid to do certain things um like i don't know again we're getting really ahead of ourselves but in the finale (laughs) if she really was people are like oh she chose tom i think it was a spur of the moment i just don't feel good in this scenario seeing my brother win i think it was a yes thing yeah yes yeah i mean we can talk for hours about that decision because again i think the genius of succession uh, and other people have written about this. So it's not like yeah. an original Roxana Haddadi idea is that so much of it is open-ended that, yeah. and there is so much evidence for different interpretations That's that great. I don't think I, yeah, I don't think there's a correct Shiv did this because no. of X, Y, and Z. I think we can have many different arguments about why she did what she did in the same way that you can argue that I think for why all the children did yes. what they did. Why would Kendall want to run this company? It I know. destroyed him. Yes. <laughs> like, why would you want to do this? Yeah. Um, but just to briefly go back to the language, your yeah is my uh-huh. Ooh, they say yep. uh-huh so often. And exactly very similarly. That are intentional. Yeah. Right. Exactly in the way that you described, where sometimes the uh-huh is a real invitation like a you're agree like oh of course i'm saying uh uh-huh because i agree with you and sure whatever it can be very sarcastic and deadpan uh it can be very challenging i mean all of these little words where it seems like the people speaking them do not actually want to take a stand on anything do not want to let people yeah do not want to let people know what they're thinking it's like the yeah uh huh. Right. There's a lot of like sarcastic. Right. Um, all of the Roy children talk like this, and it's because that's how Logan talks. Tom talks, talks more like them too. Less. Or he talks the least, though, and I love that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He talks the least, but I think he uses all of yes. those filler words in exactly. ways that they then try to emulate. Yeah. So it's like. There is so much also about this show that is just distinctly this show. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a sort of, it reminds me a lot of The Wire in that there is very clearly a shared language between these characters because of how they grew up and the circumstances under which they grew up, which remind me a lot of how The Wire is very clearly a Baltimore sort of show uh, in terms of like, the dialogue and the shared references and like all of the things that come up that people know about because of history, you know? So I think that 
all of those filler words are great because you see these characters deploy them in similar ways, but in different Mm -hmm. situations. And it's great to your point when Tom and Shiv do it (laughs) because so often Tom and Shiv are having these fights or arguments or discussions where neither one of them wants to give up ground. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, I'm like, I don't even know what either of you are really arguing for yes. or against, but yeah. you're just arguing because that's who the two of you are. Yeah, um, that reminds me of one of my favorite moments of maybe self-recognition of I got to stop mm-hmm. doing that was when I watched Ordinary People. There's a scene early on, Donald Sutherland exits with Mary Tyler Moore and they're with another couple and they're at the theater. Like, And he, his wording is, what did we think of the movie? Or what did we mm. think? Or the play or whatever it was that they had just gone to see. And I feel like that's a very Midwestern thing where you, you might mm. have like a strong opinion, but you want to, you know, you don't want to, antagonize somebody because you want to keep things on an even keel it's a wasp Mm -hmm. kind of thing like don't fight in public um Mm -hmm. and i i recognize that with tom a lot and so i i was thinking oh it's that donald sutherland thing that you know what did we think uh Mm -hmm. except he's probably the character and I, i read an interview where jesse armstrong points that out along with greg they talk the most early on Mm -hmm. because they are kind of trying to figure out what they want or stake their claim. Whereas sometimes people with the most power are just very careful of how they use words or using them at all because they don't want these stated opinions being used against them later. Um, Mm -hmm. That kind of thing he was pointing out. And so it's strong that, Kendall of the siblings is the one who really gets into language use and what it can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the one we see in the in the car at the beginning listening to rap. And that's kind of a motif for him of trying to use other people's words and use words in a weird way. We see his like disastrous uh, L to the OG rap. Um, uh, disastrous, Jim, or perfect disast- and wonderful? It's perfect and <laughs> wonderful for that. I, I loved, uh, I shared just how hilarious, like, I had to watch it like three or four times in a row in the re in the rewatch. Uh, Sheila O'Malley, uh, messaged mm-hmm. me right away and she said, I don't know how you watch that more than once. I could only watch it once. It was so mortifying. Like, she's mm-hmm. just like, it was so uncomfortable to watch. Um, she's like he's like that so much he he loves to use uh sound bites which is my mm-hmm. favorite like fuck the patriarchy is one of my favorite mm-hmm. like cringeworthy <laughs> Kendall moments because I don't think he realizes he is the patriarchy he just is trying to you know cool tweets or bad tweet good tweet I mean yes oh my god See, what's so funny about that moment is the fuck the patriarchy felt to me like one of the rare Kendall moments where he knows what people are like expecting and he's doing it like self-effacingly. I could have read that Ah. moment totally differently from you, but I feel like Naomi is like smirking at him, Kendall smirking (laughs) back at her. I think they both know, again, to a certain degree their new wokeness is like a performance, right? It's like a performance for the cameras that are now following Kendall everywhere. Um, But it is funny that we are talking about like 
Kendall being very embarrassing, which of course he is. But in season four, he has moments where those speeches work to a certain degree. I do think he is the most... Of the three siblings, he's definitely. Or <laughs> it's horrible. I just said three. I'm so I did sorry. that thing. Connor, Connor, I'm so sorry, Connor. You know, eldest boy. That whole thing comes back, and oh. oh. But um, he is the most intelligent of the siblings, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Roman is actually smarter than he appears, and I think he's just stunted, and so so much has happened to him. So young uh i do also noticing this time around um maybe like kendall even more for how quickly he was to be the one to stick up for the siblings in certain instances like as soon as roman gets swatted he Mm -hmm. puts his body in between them and like don't you fucking hit him and i mean that comes back because he was uh his child was struck by logan too but also in the boardroom um with shiv in the election episode when tom says something he immediately Mm -hmm. jumps on tom and i think i liked that and it kind of showed these were probably their roles at a young age like he was going to be the one to do this so i think he does have um this in him this ability to use language effectively and then sometimes he tries to maybe use it earnestly or tongue-in-cheek and it backfires and that's what makes Mm -hmm. it so embarrassing yeah there's like i want to i want to address so many things you just said (laughs) with with connor oh connor oh connor i mean connor what i really enjoy about connor is in the beginning of the show he is really living his life outside of all oh yes of this. he's probably he's the, the most ranch. well adjusted he's the most well adjusted he's at the ranch like you said he clearly uh does not really have any interest in this sort no. of like new york lifestyle we learn more and more about his mother and how she was institutionalized yes. and sort of his fraught relationship with logan in that way but at the same time this son who was consistently on the outs who was never taken seriously by the end of the series we see that he was really the only one who had a significant relationship with logan logan could accept him as his son because he was never going to be his heir never going to challenge him for that never never going to challenge him for that so you have these like this you know, I, I know that a lot of um, sort of political readings of Succession hated the virtual dinner moment um, because they thought that it humanized Logan too much. But to see Connor and Logan together, they really had important. they had a relationship. Logan was capable of that. Yeah, he just wasn't capable of that or willing to do that with. Kendall, Roman, and Shiv. So Connor is so interesting because he also knew about Logan's like burial plans, right? Like he knew about the mausoleum. Mm -hmm. He was trusted by Logan to do these things. So Connor, Connor, I think brings the kids together uh, in really revealing ways like you said he hosts the therapy sessions attempt at family therapy at the ranch uh at his bachelor party when they're doing karaoke 
is when mm-hmm. he invites Logan and Carrie to come. And there's that sort of horrible moment where the kids want more than an apology, right? Nothing Logan says to them mm-hmm. in the back room of this karaoke place oh my is going to be yeah. enough. Mm-hmm. But they do it for Connor. You know, they yeah. accept that Logan is coming because of Connor. So I think every every sibling sort of doesn't take the others seriously. Mm-hmm. But I also think cares about them at some base exactly. level. At some level. Um, at some level. And I think then that can sort of transition us into a discussion of Kendall who, yes, so often does protect mm-hmm. the siblings that are younger than him, does protect Roman. We really get a sense of the abuse that Roman suffered from Logan yes. because of Kendall's immediate, immediate reaction yeah. to what Logan does to Iverson. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, then we end in a place where... Kendall is physically attacking his siblings. Yeah. Kendall is becoming Logan he is. in attacking yeah. Shiv. And Roman is becoming Kendall in trying to stop yes. that like, attack. She's pregnant. Right? Yes. He's pregnant. You can't do this. So there are all these sort of, and maybe that's how family is, but all of these moments where it feels like the roles within this family are both very fixed and very fluid. Everyone Mm -hmm. is sort of capable of being responsible and everyone is capable of being a complete fuck up. (laughs) It's so true with, um, with family dynamics because, you know, um, I love what you said about Connor's relationship with Logan. It's kind of that thing when you're an adult, you can finally see your parents as flawed adults instead of like these people who are just telling you to clean your room or do this Mm -hmm. or whatever. Like Mm -hmm. these are people who are just trying to figure it out as well. And I think Mm -hmm. he is the most independent of that. Uh, And you see like the heartbreaking side of it which is, um, you know, well, he never even loved me or I can get by without love or he never liked me. And um, I don't need love that whole horrifying. That's my superpower. Yes. I don't need it. Kills you. But it shows Mm -hmm. you that because of all these things as a kid, he didn't have a couple of siblings in the house that he grew up close around um, to kind of have these codependent relationships. He had to be independent. Mm -hmm. And I love what you brought up um, in the video. I think them watching that, you also sense sometimes a little bit of jealousy of uh, why is dad this way with you and not with me? And not us. Which is a very universal trait. Like why do you get along with mom? Or why why do you guys Mm -hmm. have this bond? And this thing, and I think, um, you know, they step into other roles and sometimes parents, you know, in divorce or whatever, like to manipulate that or milk it a little bit. And uh, Logan is an expert at that, at kind Mm -hmm. of always having them jockey for power, like you're in the first position on that elephant or whatever it is in the the opening credits. And then the other one might be that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think also uh, we don't have to talk about Connor the whole time, although we could. Yeah, um, we we do hear the yes. basic. We do hear you know the very sad detail that Connor's mother was institutionalized. Yes. So when you say he had to sort of grow up, 
Yeah. I mean, we get the story about the loony cake Mm -hmm. and how horrible that experience was, how Victorian sponge cake is right. Like ruined for him forever. Um, But yeah, he didn't have a mom who was sort of like, we know lady Carolyn did with the three siblings. He didn't have a mom who was like jockeying for power, jockeying for attention blaming the kids for things that Logan did blaming Logan for the things kids did. Um, Succession is not a show that uh, I think is very positive or very hopeful about like amicable divorces. No. <laughs> I think only bad divorces exist <laughs> in yeah. the succession sphere. Um, so yeah, so it's like you have, you know, Lady Carolyn, who is awful. And then you have Marsha, who is so interesting, because she doesn't really have you could do a whole podcast relationship. Yeah, Yeah, you don't, she doesn't really have a relationship with the kids. Or at least they don't really seem to want to have a relationship with her. There's a lot of friction between her and Shiv, which you can get. Yeah. Which you get from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. I love uh, this sort of reading that existed only on Twitter, uh, which is that like Shiv was a feminist hero. (laughs) Because from (laughs) the beginning, Shiv like cannot stand other women. Every other woman is a threat to Shiv. I mean, she basically loathes Marsha. Does she have any female friends? No, she doesn't have any female friends. There, do we know that Jerry is her godmother? Yeah, but Jerry and they Shiv don't, don't have any kind of no. relationship. Jerry and Roman's relationship gets sexually weird, but mm-hmm. they have more of a bond in the beginning before it gets masturbatory. Yes, <laughs> than than Jerry and Shiv do. Mm-hmm. So it's so interesting. I mean, I think a lot about how Shiv. Um, has friction with her mother, has friction with Marsha, has friction Mm -hmm. with Jerry, like with all of these different women. So yeah, I mean, like all of these characters, I think, are open to different readings, depending on who they're in the room with. Because I think Marsha legitimately cared about Logan. I just think she didn't care about the kids. You know, and there are a lot of those kind of relationships in this show where someone will care about one person, but that doesn't mean they care about everyone in their circle. Mm-hmm. And I do think that's realistic too. I mean, maybe it's a very bitter read of the lines that can sort of exist within families, but I think there absolutely are relationships where it's like you're closer to one person than another person, and you might just have absolutely no relationship with someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, But Shiv is such an interesting sort of like nexus for that. Kendall, of course, we know how close Kendall is with Frank, but like Kendall and Carl, like don't have anything. No. It wasn't (laughs) Frank his godfather. I read Frank. Yes. Yes. Frank is Kendall's godfather. Right. So it's like, Mm -hmm. then you just have Roman, like Roman's just floating out there with, yeah he oh my goodness you know an episode listening to you talk and thinking about connor and how Mm -hmm. he has had to deal with like real world stuff more than his Mm -hmm. siblings an episode Mm -hmm. that i just goddamn love i mean i remember loving it when it aired 
but in the rewatch, I was just howling, was the one with uh, Logan where he has a, a bladder infection. Yes. And uh, Connor is the only one in that entire room who knows that for um, older people, uh, dementia-like symptoms can be indicative or can arise because of a UTI. I worked in a uh, like a nursing home, volunteered when I was younger, so I knew that too. But I love that um, how they adapt and how they kind of cope with this and like, well, that's not it or it can't be it. And again, it's showing you Connor is the most well-adjusted and he's the one who has mm-hmm. to say, no, this isn't right. Like, of course, this is what, what is going on or the Mad King, which I th- I also thought um, you brought up water, which is fascinating because that is mm-hmm. a motif for Kendall. Uh, for whatever mm-hmm. reason, Jesse Armstrong kept going back to the well. And I'm somebody who doesn't like bodily function humor like at all. Um, but he kept going back to the well of the bathroom I mean, that's where he dies, Logan's character. Um, And at the beginning, we first see him um, urinating in the hall, like getting confused. Um, Mm -hmm. But that kind of goes throughout. I was going to ask you, you know, we have um, Roman isolated. We have Shiv in corners. What other motifs or things did you notice? So we talked sort of about the... The sad Kendall stare. Yes. Which the I stare think, into the abyss. <laughs> the stare into the abyss. He's like Very a Michael essential. Mann character. Yeah. Yes. Jeremy Strong is great at it. Uh, excuse me, everyone. You heard it here from Jen. He's like a Michael Mann character. Yes. An excellent reading of who <laughs> Kendall Roy is. <laughs> we just talked um, Blake. Yeah. Yeah. We just got him <laughs> to watch. Uh, that is definitely one. Um, there also is. And uh, Barry also on HBO does this, but there is a lot of shooting the primary character from the back. And I think giving us the perspective of what they're facing, whether that is like a wall of reporters, Uh which it often is in succession or uh, like the family that doesn't understand them. Right. Like the room of unfriendly faces there is a lot of that sort of visual. Uh, and the other thing that sort of comes up over and over is just this sense of, I don't, I mean, this might be like too, <laughs> too sympathetic. Uh, but a lot of people have written about how like the aesthetics of succession do not fetishize wealth. Like they're all billionaires, Mm -hmm. but there is like a certain flatness to the interiors. Yes. Mm -hmm. To the lighting of the interiors, to their homes. Like I think pretty much all of the scenes in Logan and Marsha's apartment just feel empty in a certain yeah, way in the exactly. same way that Shiv and Tom's home just feels too big for the with stuff the, the dog that's always in the yes. pen yeah you never see yes. him like playing with the dog on the couch yes. anything like that yes. nope you never see Mondale up. actually doing anything yes. when we finally get to see Roman's home 
like mm-hmm. in the final season. There's also that sense of like everything neutral, everything cream, it's everything like a hotel. beige. Yeah. It's exactly like a hotel. So I think I'm not really, I think this is more of a production design thing, uh, mm-hmm. perhaps than just a cinematography thing, but just this sense of like the absence of personal identification within these spaces. Yeah. Like the sense that there is nothing internal from these characters that is becoming external. Like yeah. she and Tom's house has maybe like one wedding portrait, but like what else is there that signifies that this is somewhere the two of them are going to live forever. Right. <laughs> they're, they're so like big. Building a home. Yeah. 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 There's yeah. no um like identifying this is an oversimplification, but nobody wears like a, a certain baseball hat for their favorite team mm-hmm. or something you would see on mm-hmm. another show or uh characters always unkempt and in flannel or something like that. No, these characters are always in transition. They're never committing to anything in their lives or they the don't have person... any connection. There's no big record collection. Nobody really no. talks about movies or no. anything like that. Uh, books. No. The mm-hmm. only character who gets that level of personality is Logan. Mm-hmm. And it's in his office, which is decorated with like his Time magazine cover. It's pictures of him with presidents. There's like a Roman gladiator helmet. There is actually a sense in Logan's that these are things, yeah, that these are things he selected, of course, on a certain level to project power, right? Like you don't have like, (laughs) like, uh, you know, like armor in your office (laughs) as like a casual choice. But they are choices. Mm-hmm. It feels like Logan is someone who actually has lived a life. And this might be um, too much of my own uh, sort of bias peeking out. But something I think about a lot in Hollywood, as it is becoming more uh, a Nepo baby, mm-hmm. you know, Nepo baby defined is like people before they became actors, like had other jobs, they had other experiences. They grew up in places that were not Hollywood or were Mm -hmm. not Manhattan or were not luxury buildings with doormen. You know, like there was a variety of experiences, Mm -hmm. like a diaspora of life that was happening. Right. And so people had like, preferences and favorite things and personalities yes (laughs) and quirks and so I think it's so interesting and again this is probably me reading way too much into this no but Um, I love this read yeah but Logan is like a self-made person Mm -hmm. someone who survived war who moved away from where they were born who traveled the world who created their own life like Logan has preferences. He has inside jokes. He has songs he likes and poetry he likes and like all of this stuff, right? I mean, you see that with Carl and with Frank and with Jerry and with Connor. Mm -hmm. You don't get any of that stuff with the kids. You get a little bit of it with Kendall and Stewie. They clearly had an existing friendship. Right. They clearly had like an existing bond. Mm -hmm. But like Roman doesn't have friends. Right. Shiv doesn't have friends. Like there is to a certain degree, 
know they're there. And I don't know how much of that is at all like a commentary on growing up wealthy and growing up sort of like in this self-contained sphere. Yeah. Lonely place. Glass Um, Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, I think about that a lot as well. Like when we're in these interiors, how little they actually tell you about these people. (laughs) And there's something very sad about that. Like, I hate these people, duh. But also... (laughs) It's sad. Yeah. But also, it's sad. (laughs) It's it's literature. We don't need these people to be moral, you know. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah totems for us but um talking about friendship of course we should probably get to uh you can't make a tomlet without breaking a few gregs one of my favorite (laughs) dynamics on the whole show and again Mm -hmm. just like weirdly connor and willa uh, Mm um might have the the healthiest relationship by the end of the series or the most at least the most honest yeah yeah about Uh, what each of them wants from the other Tom and Greg know they have each other's numbers. They know what they want and they're willing to use and abuse each other. But there is a sense of care there. Maybe there's a little bit of a, you know, sadism and a masochism thing. uh, That's also maybe Roman and Jerry and Roman Kendall, Roman and anybody. But Tom and Greg is a fascinating dynamic and it's set up very early on and i love that it just carries right through yeah Mm -hmm. it's so early i think it's like the second episode yeah that greg shows up at waystar royco and he has like doggy bags and tom is like you're using actual doggy poop bags to take home food tom immediately immediately latches on to this person Mm -hmm. uh for so a few he reasons. Can be cruel. Yes. yes there's cruelty. That. And there's also cruelty. identification. Yes. And also identification. And also, I mean, all of it, right? And yeah. also that sort of cynical, well, the kids are always going to align with each other. Yeah. So I want my own. Can, yeah. I want my own. Who can I sort of condition? <laughs> who can I sort of condition? Who can I survivor alliance with <laughs> yes. so that they become my person? Yeah. Uh, and you Greg know, I've never just... watched Survivor. And what I love is like, this is my survivor. We need these alliances. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Go and I mean, that's that's essentially what it is, right? Yeah. Is it's like, how do I get you onto my side of the island so yes. that you don't leave me, <laughs> so that you don't abandon me or betray me? Yeah. Um, Crack and Tom is really interesting. I'm curious what you have thought about like the romantic subtext, Forest. text, yeah. fan fiction. Yeah. Like what are your thoughts on that? Because that's another one where I don't actually think that there is anything explicitly romantic. Like I don't necessarily buy a Tom and Greg are in love with each other read like I again because I don't think that this show is really interested in love it's interested in like transaction yeah um, and transaction in personal and private ways but yeah I'm curious what you think about like the sporus of it all the like yeah um putting a sticker on Greg's forehead to claim him in the Batson merger yeah yeah I'm curious what you think 
and having somebody castrated or telling that tale from history, which I thought was great. Mm -hmm. You know, speaking of weird sexuality, we could do another whole podcast on Roman and how I think there is uh, homosexuality there Mm -hmm. kind of going from the earliest episodes and that something that he is denied or stifled. Um, I mean, it goes through with Logan's treatment of him and indictments of him. Um, You know, that's its own thing. So for Tom and Greg, you know, I don't know. I think it's a little bit of, you know, it's a different kind of love. You're in love with, uh, you know, you meet people and I fell in love with my friend. My friend is, you know, and you you have different levels of love for everyone that you care Mm -hmm. about in your life. Um, And they have such a messed up and heightened relationship that there is something there. And I don't know if it's just Tom um you know sublimating some of his frustrations in other arenas and putting them onto greg i think Mm -hmm. that is a little bit um i don't know i think it is a really fascinating maybe like a little bit of a secretary dynamic the spader movie Mm -hmm. but like without the overt Mm -hmm. sexuality um Mm -hmm. i would love to know your thoughts on tom and greg i just know that um i always get excited when they're on the screen yes well, that's good. I, I, I'm so conflicted about this because I think that on some level they really hate each other. Oh God. Yeah. They're Tom and Jerry. Yeah. yeah. They really hate each other. I'm thinking about how often Greg tries to betray Tom yes. and poor Greg, he can never really pull it off. Yeah. But Judith. we're talking about yeah. like, yeah, do like, I think it's what season two where he tells Kendall about the documents or maybe it's, I think it's the end. It's the end of two because Mm -hmm. Greg has kept some of the cruises documents that Tom wanted him to shred and destroy. Greg has kept some of them. He has provided them to Kendall. He has, you know, thrown in his lot with this idea that Kendall could bring down the company Mm -hmm. through cruises. Uh, And it doesn't, (laughs) doesn't work out for Greg Cruises mm-hmm. sort of ends up being like a nothing burger. It goes away very quickly. And we could talk about this too, how good succession was at making things seem very important and then immediately sort of diffusing them of yeah, the very like the tension, election. the yeah. election, the cruises yeah. scandal, cruises. so much of this stuff that comes up. Um, the murder I, guess, I think a lot or the manslaughter yes. yeah right yeah i mean the waiter's death like yeah. the fact that that doesn't come up again really significantly until kendall tells the siblings the siblings mm-hmm. almost seem to brush it off yeah and then it becomes very important in the series finale um and you know what's funny and i'll just say this is that i i did not read shiv saying you can't be CEO because you killed someone. I didn't sense that as like her saying morally he couldn't be CEO. I sensed that as like, that's another scandal that will just bring down the Me company too. so you can't be CEO. Yeah, I was. she had a background of PR. She knew that yeah. whole arena. She was yeah. uh, in the political sphere. You know, yeah. she the siblings don't actually care yeah. about this person, right? It's no. just like, what could the death of this person cost us? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so just to go back to like Greg and Tom, it's like I, I'm very amused by how, how often Greg tries to kill Tom 
Yeah. You know, like by aligning with the siblings, by aligning with Matson. Um, and Greg is just not not as smart as he thinks he is. Tom somehow oh. just gets the better of him every time. Uh so yeah, so it's like And the most morally uh questionable like i think when we first see him you just see him in your car in his car and then he's getting high he just seems like oh well he's kind of a doofus and clueless and i'm sure he's i'm sure he's basically fine and then he's Mm -hmm. using women as ladder dates essentially and Mm -hmm. uh going back and forth on well what can i use you know and how can i play this the duchess that he's trying it was like right the italian duchess yeah it's like i remember all the uh thoughts that greg would end up on top or something Mm -hmm. and like succession isn't really i don't really think it was ever interested in the obvious sort of ethical route like yeah it would have been too satirical that way yeah it would have been too obvious to be like greg the bumbling buffoon in the span of a year somehow like a john became the american show. Yeah. ceo right yeah. it's like i don't think that is necessarily interesting to armstrong i think what he's interested in is like the dynamics you get into that you can't escape like kendall can never be more than the addict fuck up that his family thought he was mm-hmm. greg is never going to be more than tom's errand boy because he agreed to it and now he's stuck with it like you said about shiv she yeah. finally makes a decision right she finally votes against kendall mm-hmm. uh but now she's sort of stuck in a life where she'll never really have decision making power again as tom's wife as the ceo that was promised and then taken away from her so it's like all of these characters sort of end up in the same locations that they were almost like doomed or destined yeah um so yeah like greg and tom greg and tom have a lot of that where it's like i'm glad greg did not become more powerful yes (laughs) and i'm glad that tom stayed himself Mm -hmm. by knowing that betraying shiv is always going to get him ahead Mm -hmm. you know and there is a lot of i saw a lot again i keep saying i saw a lot all that means is i saw it on twitter um but on twitter i did see succession is a misogynist show because shiv got passed over um but i think there's actually a very sort of smart commentary there which I is do too. none of us take tom seriously right from the mm-hmm. outside we look at no. tom and we're like this man is just falling his way upward but in every situation that he falls his way upward it's basically a choice between him and Shiv. And in this world, Shiv will never be elevated, right? Shiv is right never from the beginning. Win. She doesn't have the experience. You know, they're using right. the same talking points right. that we see yes. again and again. And yes. what's interesting is just like Connor is very independent. Mm-hmm. Uh at the beginning of the show, Shiv is outside the family uh sway. Jen, he's why does Shiv come? Why does Shiv you know nuts? (sighs) Is it because of Tom? Is she like wheedling in because he's there? Uh again, you know, yeah, it's it's is it because of I mean the real answer? 
Right. Yeah. But that's the real answer, right? Is it's like, she cannot escape Logan. None of them, Mm -hmm. none of the three can escape Logan. So like, she's successful. She's running Evis's, right? She's like his chief of staff for her campaign or something. Exactly. She's exactly like her mom and Peter. Peter, Mm -hmm. who is terrible, but hilarious. He's so funny. Yes. (laughs) I love uh, in Barbados when the kids leave and Peter is like, well, that was a waste of time. (laughs) Because Peter just wanted their cash. That's all he ever wants. Um, Yeah, it's like Shiv is free. Shiv Mm -hmm. is free. Connor is free. I mean, and Connor never really comes back under Logan's thumb. But he sort of does, right, when he asks for the loan. Mm-hmm. Just a tiny little loan of what a hundred million, you yeah. know, to run his presidential campaign. <laughs> All of them keep going back to Logan in various mm-hmm. ways, either because they want to kill him or because they want to be him or because they want his love. I mean, all of those things are tied together uh, and come up over and over throughout the seasons. Um, I'm curious. If you thought there were any other ways that the show could have handled Logan's death, because I think since the series wrapped, I've seen Brian Cox interviews where he's like, I stopped watching or like, I haven't watched the end or, you know, I think I could have been on the whole time, et cetera. And Brian Cox is like a great cantankerous interview. Oh yeah. (laughs) And I don't agree with him that like Logan should have lived to the end, but I'm curious what your reaction was to Logan's death and how you felt about that episode. I think it's one of the best episodes that they did. And I think what I like about it so much is his death was just off screen. It was uneventful. Um, I mean, it's, extremely eventful to the people that he loves or in that loved him or who knows he loves them in in his way shall we say but Mm -hmm. um i think that you're never prepared for something like that to happen also you might have uh just had an argument or you might have Mm -hmm. said the wrong thing and i think i think it really spoke to grief on that level and it suddenly made it so all their you know wealth oh he can get in a plane or he can do this and be whisked off you know sometimes that stuff can kill you and even the kids later are like you know it killed him or why do we want the same thing um Mm -hmm. i think they handled it really well uh we can use the famous a quote from after the show the interview with jeremy strong where i thought it made sense dramaturgically (laughs) which i love and i actually speak like that sometimes so i didn't like people like you know no it's perfect that's who the man is yeah what's the problem yeah hello bless you jeremy come on yeah yeah but uh, what do you expect from like i I, we don't have to go too far down this road and i'm sorry to interrupt but i think both of us are on the same page that like jeremy is fine right like i don't think the new yorker profile was like as much of a hit piece as Mm -hmm. people seemed to make it out to be i think yeah 
I think the way that he works is never going to fly with all of his coworkers. And oh, like, that's everybody fine. works differently. Yeah. Everybody works differently. What I think was more interesting is that like, never once has there been a story, at least that I've seen, that's like, Jeremy Strong was an asshole. Right. Exactly. He just has a certain he just has a certain way that he works. Yeah. Which honestly is demanding on him. Yes, <laughs> like, he's a type A workaholic. It's like uh right. yes. Aren't we all, Jen? I know. Maybe that's what <laughs> <laughs> resonated so much. But yeah, no, I thought that um handling of the death was perfect. They also needed mm-hmm. to do it so that yeah. we could see the kids for all of their you know sound and fury it signifies nothing or like well this is going to happen or we're going to take over for the old man or they can't even do it after like they they can't even do it um and then after he's gone we needed to see them try and fail and let's face it people were like oh it should have worked out for kendall and you think it might have been good for two days and yeah. then it wouldn't have been. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the show addresses that too, because yeah. there are the moments where mm-hmm. he seems to sort of be successful. The eulogy is pretty yeah, successful. Yeah. People seem to respond to it. It's self-aware. I yes, love the, mm-hmm. uh, I love the, and the money. Yeah. The yes. money line. It's saying out loud, what we've all known, which is that, everyone would tolerate and accept Logan because of the money. Yeah. Um, I thought that was great. And then the living plus episode. Brilliant. Also so clever, I think, because I think that speaking for myself, mania. Yeah. Yes. It shows his mania and speaking for myself, someone who like doesn't understand the world of finance. Like a lot no, of this not show at all. was just, you know, and like Succession didn't really care about explaining it to you that much. Yeah. Until Living Plus, uh-huh. when I think can't they did a the good numbers. job. You can't fudge the numbers. And I think they did a good job showing uh, like how easy it is for all of this sort of stuff to be bullshit. Mm-hmm. Because Kendall treats it like bullshit. Just make up the numbers just make the shareholders happy. It'll be fine. And he's not wrong. The shareholders eat it up. They think Living Plus is a great idea, although it's obviously stupid and terrible. Yes. Even Carl, who, you know, had said, you have to run this by me. I have to know what it is. I have to know how to sell it. After the presentation is successful, Carl is like, pro Kendall mm-hmm. you really get a sense from that episode and I think it's Kendall's line where Kendall says like I'm really sensing that capitalism is just a joke or something because he can it's so enough to easily... make you lose your faith in capitalism yes yeah he can so easily manipulate it it can so easily be bullshit mm-hmm. but through Kendall's mania like you said And through everyone's reactions to Kendall's mania, I think you again understand something about Logan, which is that I don't necessarily think Logan acted this way, which is why I think everyone is thrown behind the scenes by Kendall doing so. Mm -hmm. So I think, again, you get this sense of Kendall thinks he's acting like Logan. Kendall thinks he's being powerful to a certain degree works but it works for like five minutes and then when he needs to back it up it doesn't really 
work anymore. Living Plus is not successful enough that they can escape the acquisition by Gojo. It's not successful enough that people have faith in Kendall to run this company. Like it very swiftly. The effects collapses. of the drug wear off. The fix is yes. done and he needs another fix. Yes. And he needs uh, something else. Yep. As he says to the siblings, this is the only thing I know how to do. And yep. again, there is tragedy in that because mm-hmm. you know how much Logan fucked up these kids. Yeah. We keep calling them kids and Logan Kendall's 40. <laughs> I know. Yes. So the end of the series, did you think he yes. was going over the railing? For a minute, I did. I 100% worried. yes. I thought that. But then again, I thought the same thing that if Greg had become the CEO, it would have been too... Too pat. narratively yeah. neat mm-hmm. to pat and i like oh i knew uh, he would more... have he wouldn't have been yeah. able to be successful at it but yeah right i like the more narratively open yes kendall is just tortured by this for the rest of his days all frozen. sort of read yeah they're all fucked up they're mm-hmm. gonna stay fucked up yeah. Um, and I'm sure that you saw that Strong did like go over the fence in real yes. life. Yes. Yeah, which is <laughs> you know crazy. But at the same time, I think so many of us watching thought it. So you could see where yes. if he's in the moment, he would have thought it too. Yes. Um yes. in an interview, he gave a really good point. He thought that the Roman uh ending. He was worried, mm-hmm. like, is he going to, because he has this little smile on his face, like, maybe that's what he wanted, because he is somebody who likes the disaster of it all. We see that at the end of the funeral episode, like, mm-hmm. his his emotional pain needs physical pain. Is mm-hmm. he going to become an alcoholic? Is this, like, the beginning mm-hmm. of where he's going to go? Just keep drowning his sorrows. Again, we have water. We have cruises with water. We have all this water mm-hmm. throughout the whole mm-hmm. uh, series. Shiv, you have her like literally trapped in a car, um, right. essentially. Uh, how the hands are, I think, uh, not I, really holding hands. No, it's weird, no. It's like the end of the graduate, but not, but like creepier, most um, mm-hmm. like Stepford Wives, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love Roman's smile because he is drinking Jerry's drink. I love that. He's drinking drinking Jerry's martini. And Roman is the only one that I think is even not hopeful, Mm -hmm. but maybe the most forward-looking and that Roman is now sort of free. I think free from Logan. I think he wanted whatever, but couldn't voice it. Like the line, free from whatever these expectations are. Yeah, we're all bullshit. Like it's bullshit. We're bullshit. You know, Roman knows. He's always known. Um, I think, of course, if we're doing, you know, what we discussed, we shouldn't do, which is the moral read. It's like, do you want Roman to have a good ending? Although he allowed for a fascist (laughs) president, uh, arguable. But um, from a pure, like, individualistic place, Roman goes back to being sort of like the playboy idiot that he Mm -hmm. started the series as. And Mm -hmm. that's probably the safest and healthiest thing for him to be. (laughs) Yeah. And Connor's going to be away from them. Yep. 
Connor's going to be away from them. Connor, hopefully he truly gets the ambassadorship. Good luck, <laughs> Connor. Good luck on your long distance relationship. I know. Um, the cow print think, couch. <laughs> yes. I do think Shiv's ending is the saddest. Like, I agree. as a Kendall fan, Kendall is like, you know, the, the, what I'll think about. And because Nicholas Bertel's score in that moment mm-hmm. is so beautiful, mm-hmm. um, right before it drops out and you hear like the sound of the waves and then we cut to black. I think Kendall gets the big crescendo moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Shiv's is, I think, the saddest, purposefully yep. so. Like women... Women, I say that uh, like Shersha Ronan. Um, the role <laughs> of women on this show is so interesting because there are moments where they have power. I think Jerry is powerful. I think Carolina is powerful. I think yeah. Marsha walks away powerful. Um, but I also think that they are only powerful within this sort of like small world. Yes, mm-hmm. they're rich, whatever, setting all that aside in terms of like where they are respected it's tiny right it's like this space that is awful that they have carved out an identity for themselves within but it's still awful (laughs) it's like I'm not being very like articulate here but I'm just I think what I'm trying to say is like yes they are valued within Waystar Royco and like they are respected and like the first people that Tom asks for are Carolina and Jerry, right? Like he knows that they're able to withstand a lot. Um, but yeah, I they think might that be they pain sponges. Yeah. They might be fellow pain sponges, but I think that they've also seemingly given up a lot of themselves too. And I think Shiv gives up a lot of herself in that think, final car ride. I agree with you and watching it this time. Uh, at first, I didn't know if I'd be able to stand the election episode again, but I'm glad I rewatched it because you realize that the people who have the biggest moral, not to get again, moral uh, problem mm-hmm. with the Mencken presidency are all the women who keep yeah. like, are you sure? Like Shiv knows this is wrong. I mean, politically, mm-hmm. she's a Democrat, but she's also opportunistic. Uh, you have Jess. That's probably why Jess mm-hmm. is going to leave at the 100%. end. Rava questions like, why mm-hmm. are you doing this? And it's interesting. It's their daughter who is mm-hmm. um, worried. And also, I mean, even Willa says mm-hmm. something like he's very right wing. And I thought yeah. it was interesting watching it this time around. It is all of the women who are kind of like yeah. trying to alert these men. This isn't good. Um, yeah. Yeah, but all of the women on the outside, right? Because yes, like exactly. Jerry and Carolina, yeah. right? They don't have the power. Like Jerry and Carolina, I think a lot about you know, Shiv, Jerry, and Carolina all played very specific roles in the cruises cleanup. Yes, in stopping they did. the whistleblowers mm-hmm. from coming forward, in diminishing the no real person involved, right? So yeah, I think they were used and I, allowed themselves to be. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I think what I have always respected about this show is that it hasn't said like, you know, it hasn't shied away from the fact that I think 
it's always harder for women. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I'll just like, I'll just say that like it no, is it always is, harder for, for sure. women. Like yeah. it is whatever. But I think it also hasn't ignored, but the wealth and the access and the power make Can it a do. lot mm-hmm. easier. Right. Uh, yeah. So there is both of these things. It is, it's harder for these kids because they were fucked up and because Logan ruined them and all of that. But at the same time, Mm-hmm. They're billionaires, and on a yeah. certain level, they'll be okay. Oh yeah, it's the rest of the world that now has to live with the choices that they that have they made. made. Yeah, exactly. And I, I always like that the show had that sort of scope and the ability to pull that off. And I don't know if it's because it moved so quickly, right? Like in mm-hmm. a way that sort of took impact away from certain narrative decisions. I don't know if it's because we got three seasons of the kids sort of like spinning their wheels before Logan died. I can't figure out the exact alchemy of how they pulled off that balance, but they really did it very successfully and effectively. And I'm sure that part of it has to do with how early on we would see the people in service roles yeah, sort of like setting stuff up for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think of the Summer Palace episode where like Logan instructs them to throw out all of this food mm-hmm. that the mansion had been stocked with because he says everything smells like the dead, what like skunk or whatever that got yeah. into the into the house. So I think because there was that focus on these characters, Jess, Jess, who was always there to sort of yeah. be Kendall's like touch base kind of person until it became Mm -hmm. even too much for Jess. I think the show always had a good eye for sort of how do you like modulate these characters with the people around them. Um, I think even about like the Zach Cherry character when Roman gets sent to like managerial training or remember or whatever yeah where it's like Zach Cherry plays the guy in his class who is like I'm gonna like I'm I'm taking this seriously. Like I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. do well for myself. I like that we got those little moments of like regular people mm-hmm. to show how insular and segregated the Roys were from the rest of the world. We always knew yeah. how alone they were. Yeah. Like uh the the birthday episode when they're walking through uh, the positive affirmation arena mm-hmm. or something when actors mm-hmm. are like, you know, you're full of grace and like, fuck off, you know, like, <laughs> a great Tom and Greg moment. Oh my God. Such a good one. Yes. Um, or just when outsiders would sort of be in their realm, even briefly, mm-hmm. like in New Mexico with the, the, mm-hmm. the druggies, that whole scene, yeah. you know, yeah. um, or later on with uh, the actress that he mm-hmm. takes out of Willa's play. Like, well, mm-hmm. you know, there's a plane coming for you and he just wants to sleep with her and he needs something. Or like the Dundee birthday. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then she uses the word, author. it's so awesome. And she says it twice. Yes. She might have been nervous. We don't know. Yes. And <laughs> it's like, oh, no, uh, Logan no. had too much of her. So she's going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She can't. She's got to go. She's got to um, go. I or the Instagram you... chick uh, that yes. brings to the. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm wondering what you think about the Pierces. Oh, they are. You, 
if you found them, if you found them worse than the Roy's in like, some respects, as people, yes. 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 In some respects, yes. you know, what is really great about, uh, that episode when we are over at their lair turn haven yeah yes. turn haven uh is the morning when you have all and it's all women on the other side mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. uh then the the roys and shiv is the only one and so mm-hmm. you can get some of uh logan's eternal uh, misogyny but at the same time the pierces are terrible like i love the whole um migraine the manipulation mm-hmm. and like oh i don't like to talk about money but you talking know, about money is disgusting it's disgusting and it's like but give me more yes 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 so but i, I are don't fascinating yeah i i this is repellent but also p pgn is not worth only six billion no. it's worth more like 10 billion yes <laughs> <laughs> I love the Pierces because again, I think I never think that succession was like super in your face with the political stuff, but I did always find the Pierces an effective reminder that at a certain level of wealth, it doesn't matter. No, no. What your politics are like, yeah. it really does not. They again will be fine mm-hmm. when uh, Jared Mankin is president. Like nothing yep. is going to change for them. Um, no. so yeah, so I, I really, Holly Hunter I really, being on the show, I love, oh my gosh. Yes. She was a I little mean, like Tom. These, I thought. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All of these sort of like great supporting characters. Remember when Adrian Brody was on? So good. <laughs> or Hope Davis just showing up. Yes. Now the Hope Davis thing yes. was hilarious because, yes. you know, it's like, are you just saying stuff? Is he her meat puppet with the dad? Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. oh my god, yeah, these characters, the the supporting people are wonderful on the show. We yes, haven't even talked I... about Lucas Matson yet. Uh, no, we haven't even talked. I um, mean, and what I think is great about Lucas Matson is again, like he is when he's revealed to be who he's revealed to be. It's like, oh, of course you're that fucking guy, right? Of course you're the guy who is like sexually harassing, sending blood. Yeah, was also your coworker. Like, there is a sense that all of these companies are fucked up. I love how (laughs) when you first meet him, you think he's European and he has this, you know, because his company is so valuable, he's got to be brilliant, right? Mm-hmm. no it's a house no. of cards i love that no he's an idiot yeah. but what's more interesting about lucas madsen being a moron is again it makes me think like did this show actually respect logan like did succession actually want you to think that logan was an innovator and a genius? like for all everything else that he was Mm-hmm. Were we meant to like respect and admire what Logan achieved? And I, I don't know. We I'm supposed I... to think about it like almost like we're studying somebody in history, like Napoleon, if you're mm-hmm. Connor, who is uh, Napoleon obsessed, obsessed or Horus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we were supposed to um, respect what he had done in terms of power and status but then be extremely suspicious of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And it was just a I mean, playground as, for everything else, you know? Right. As Kendall sort of says, like he was amazing and he was a brute. Yep. Right. And like, yeah. maybe those two things have to exist together. Yeah. Maybe you can't like be the monarchy one without <laughs> being the other. Right. I mean, as we all casually say, like there are no good billionaires. Uh-huh. Like, I wonder if that was like the closest that this show would sort of get to explicitly saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I miss it. I miss having I the know. opportunity to like, you know, pour over every line and every shot and every yeah. moment of Brittell's score and every Jeremy's oh, facial score. expression, yes. the best score, every single one of Sarah Snook's high-waisted pants. Yeah, You know, like there was just a level of consistent detail mm-hmm. to the show that I will absolutely miss. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I have heard things about spinoffs and I would hate them, Jen. I do not I want do, a spinoff. I don't want a standalone I, movie. I don't want any of that. Luckily, no. we have all of your amazing writing to pour over. Because Thank you, you, Jen. Yes. Uh, all of your hard work. Is there anything we didn't touch on with Succession that you want to go into as a closing note? Oh my gosh. I don't know. I mean, I think if we kept going, we would just keep going for like hours. Like five hours, yeah. Yeah. So I feel like this was like a good, a good overview. Okay. What we didn't talk about, and maybe we should briefly talk about, is what were your thoughts on Carrie? <laughs> oh, wow. You know, I love how she changed at first she's just background and then I love it when she's being like really bitchy with the kids because she's sort of Mm -hmm. feeling her own power like and I think Mm -hmm. you know you can see that a little bit of I have this powerful man who likes me so that gives you such a boost of confidence Mm -hmm. to tell Mm -hmm. these kids to fuck off too just like Logan and then you realize she really did love him um yes and shocking way you know i think marshall loved him too but carrie you get like a true and you also think maybe carrie's influence on logan might have helped at the end there um Mm -hmm. the scene in the karaoke bar like he needs her there and yeah. it's very obvious. And I love uh, seeing the flashback in the video. I think, mm-hmm. you know, they were respectful of her. It would have been easy to just follow the big jokes the kids make. Uh, mm-hmm. when, you know, when she answers the phone. Um, but I think they were respectful of her. How about you? I think Carrie was a great example, like you just said, of how everyone in the show got a measure of depth. that maybe other characters didn't accept Mm -hmm. um but that we as the audience were going to be privy to and honestly like treated to because i think right like marcia marcia's interaction with carrie at the wake is so horrible right Mm -hmm. when she's basically giving her her plastic bag of her stuff and like having her escorted out the back the funeral when marcia like takes carrie's hand Mm -hmm. Uh, and zoe winter says that moment where she looks just stunning as she's weeping yeah are these moments again to sort of emphasize that all of us are maybe capable of more 
yeah. capable of more, whether that's capable There's of more different sides cruelty, to everyone. Yeah. Right. Capable of more awfulness to one another and capable of more kindness to one another. And it's your choice. It's your individual choice mm-hmm. of which one of those you want to give to other people in your life. Different um, sides so of Logan. Yeah, different sides. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because Carrie, you know, Carrie is in the room with Logan when Shiv is like, please don't endorse Jared. Yeah. And Carrie is like, I fucking Logan from across the room. And Logan's like, no, we're definitely going to endorse Jared. Right. Like Carrie is there at a pivotal, awful moment. Mm -hmm. And then Carrie is also there trying to tell the kids to like be closer with their father. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think she was, like, a very useful, late character to sort of bring some of these narrative ideas to the forefront. And I did a piece at the end of season three where I went back and watched and, like, tracked all of Carrie's movements. And, yeah, she just goes from being someone in the back bringing Logan, like, glasses of water. Mm -hmm. So listening to to presidents being pissed off, which I think was an early seductive technique. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Carrie, I mean, Carrie is great. All of these characters were great. Uh, And I never, I never want to see them again. Let the show end. (laughs) Yes. Let things end people. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. You can write some Tom and Greg fan fiction is what we're saying. You know, whatever you want, but that's about it. Do that. Yeah. That's it. Go to archive of our own and post that and like live your life. Yeah. Uh, I mean, very bleakly, I can 100% also see a scenario where like 10 years from now, when we're going through another round of like, what is HBO questions? Yes. <laughs> yeah. By <laughs> then it's just going to be like Steve back. or Chuck, or they'll choose a different name that means nothing. And then we'll have to bring back the golden days. Yes. 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 Yeah. I mean, Jesse Armstrong, I think we'll never let it happen. So for now, no. I think we're safe in just adoring and admiring this show for what it was. Absolutely. Well, Roxanne, I want to thank you so much for doing this. It's always such a pleasure. You'll have to think of another show for us to do in a yes. while. Yes. When we yes. have like emotionally come down from this one. Yes. Well, I don't know how long that'll be, Jen. It might yeah. be earlier than that. <laughs> yes, we absolutely yeah. should. This was a pleasure as always. Uh, you're so much smarter than me and I love hearing you, you talk. Brilliant. No. So I'm glad that we were able to do this. Yes. I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research equipment, film rentals, RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting 
filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.